and welcome to the Stack Magazine's podcast. My name is Stephen Watson. I'm the founder of Stack, the service that searches out the best independent magazines and delivers them to thousands of readers around the world every month. This week, I'm speaking with Audrey Rose Smith and Vicente Munoz, the editor and creative director of Balcony, the new magazine that explores art in the everyday. Both Audrey and Vicente work in New York in jobs connected with the art world and Balcony is the result of their frustration with the way that art is commonly discussed. They've decided they want to present this much more intimate behind the scenes view of artists as a way of challenging the very commercial event driven narrative that tends to dictate which artists are covered in the mainstream press. I really enjoyed hearing them talking about that and also their decisions in making the magazine. It's one of those quietly crazy titles that delights in doing things differently and it was great to get a glimpse of how they went about creating its odd inventive structure. It's a really impressive launch and we have it available to buy in the Stack shop now. So remember, if you want to buy a copy, you can head over to stackmagazines.com forward slash shop. But first, I hope you'll enjoy this conversation with the founders of Balcony Magazine. Uh, Audrey, Vicente, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Uh, so you are the people behind uh, Balcony magazine, um, which I guess, you, I mean, the sort of the strapline, if there is one, seems to be kind of art in the everyday. Um, maybe you could start just by telling me a bit about, like, what is it that interests you about that perspective on art? Sure, yeah. You know, I think that's something we, um, we actually spent a great deal of time mulling over and sort of working over um, because I think before we started Balcony in earnest we wanted to kind of carve out exactly what we were doing and and be sure that it didn't exist already or um, you know hadn't been done in a way that we wanted to do it so really what that means and I think what Balcony is all about um, is about accessing artists before the sort of artwork or the product. So our backgrounds are both in the art world. I actually worked um, in PR in the art world before um, what I do now um, and had always been sort of frustrated by the way we, we talk about and read about artists, which is so often pegged to a um, commercial driven narrative, an event driven narrative, a mm, narrative that's mm. very much about the sort of output um, and the product, the artwork, mm. so to speak. So Balcony for us is really about um, sort of inverting that logic and putting the artist as a person, as a, as a human really, before the work um, yeah. and taking that viewpoint. And, and so then in a, a practical, on a practical level, then that means you get lots of very intimate, very personal uh, interviews with artists. There's lots of uh, kind of like snapshots of like, uh, I don't know, like messy studios and like, you know, kitchen tables and, and even like an, an artist like on commute. So there is, it's kind of, it shows, I suppose, this fascination with like, who are these people who spend their lives making these incredible things? Yeah, and I think really um, 
an appreciation for the quotidian or for the sort of you know everyday yeah the, the kind of daily um the daily activities of our lives that you know um may or may not account for grand things in our work but might also provide a window or a perspective um to the person mm, mm, mm. Uh, and so then leading on from that tell me about the name balcony so so how does uh, how does a balcony fit in with this kind of other view of the art world? Yeah, um, balcony. So, you know, I have to say, I think we um, we spent a couple, a great deal of time thinking about the name. I'm a little bit stubborn and didn't want to really even begin this project in earnest until we had a name oh god <laughs> we wanted i don't know if i'd recommend that workflow um but you know for for us balcony means a couple things i mean fundamentally we were interested in uh, balconies as architectural devices um i think they operate this sort of simultaneous interior and exterior space um they can be functional um, and usually are, but they can also be decorative. Um, and we liked that idea um, of sort of uh, placing the magazine in the context of something that is, yes, it's, it's functional in the sense that it provides, uh, um, you know, this access and resource, but it didn't necessarily have to be so terribly serious or even intellectual in a way it, it, it could also be fun and pleasurable um and so thinking about it architecturally um was one sort of facet um and then i think there was the idea of a balcony as sort of a social space um you know where you might you know, sneak out for a cigarette or a drink during a party or something like that, where you might gather to, um, you know, to, to catch some, you know, some night air. Um, so thinking about it as a social place, as well as this sort of architectural concept. Mm, and mm. I suppose, um, you know, uh, it, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be overlooked. We just, we thought the word was very beautiful and its application and design was um, really compelling for us. I, I really like the way that, uh, well, you talked about it in terms of the architectural mode. So a balcony is something that is part of a structure, but also separate from it. So I, I can totally see how Balcony Magazine is part of the art world, but also separate from it and provides this uh, new perspective. I, I wonder also about the magazine world, because it seems to me that you... At first glance, you're making a magazine that is quite conventional in terms of the you know the way that it's put together, the way it's arranged. But then you get into it and you realise there's some completely bonkers stuff that's that that's really not how you make a magazine at all. So your colophon, which is the uh, page where you've got you know everyone's jobs and your address and all the rest of it. So that's normally right at the front or right at the back. And in this magazine, it's on page 168, which is kind of in the middle of the magazine. So, so tell, tell me about the thinking with that. What made you make a magazine in this way? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, I'll, I'll let Vicente speak to that a little bit. But I think sort of part and parcel with that conversation are um, is, you know, bringing in, um, we worked with two phenomenal designers on, on Balcony who we'll continue to work with for um, future issues. Uh, that's Ben Furman Lee and Julia Novich. And they have been with us 
really from the beginning. And I think part of the, you know, very much the way balcony looks and feels is their interpretation of our sort of ideas and desires. So, you know, Vicente, I'll let you speak more towards. Yeah, I've, I've, I've had a, I've had a, a good amount of experience uh, producing artist monographs and my own as well. So for us, sequencing and like editing of photographs was a very important part of the process. And like in regards to like breaking the breaking the mold a little bit with the traditional uh, way we look at a magazine, it was kind of like just trying to add some rhythm to the to the different kinds of stories, whether mm -hmm. it's a long format interview or like the annotated stories. So we wanted it all to have like a flow. Mm. Same as like the different backgrounds, whether they're female or, or, or male artists or young and, or like established, more established. Like we wanted it all to like feel like it's like a little bit of like a a, a, a symphony or waves in the ocean a little mm. bit, you know. So uh, that was. Um, an interesting thing that we did. Same with the advertisements, you know, mm. having them like uh, not necessarily disrupt this flow, but be contained in like a different materiality, different kind of like uh, showcasing of them. It, 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 like think of like uh, the, the 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 advertisements that you see at, at movie theaters, where they are consolidated in the beginning, but they still have the same width in the screen. So they're equally as important to us, but they just don't disrupt the content. So, and, and add to the flow of the book. Right, right, yeah, right. we actually, um, for the advertisements in particular, we were really thinking about them as, um, as an intermission of sorts mm -hmm. to the content. Um, and I think the, you know, the, the masthead, as you said, the placement, you know, what Vicente was saying, I, I think what we worked a lot with Ben and Julia on was finding a cadence for the for where things were and having them feel um, a bit unexpected. Um, I don't know if you even found it because we, we did sort of bury it a little bit, but our editor's letter is... Um, oh, no, no, it's a, oh, no but that's... The last page. <laughs> no, but that, that's, you see, that's much more expected. So the, like, I, you know... I think one of the great things that this pacing does is that you open the magazine and you literally straight away you're into the first story. So that there's no kind of, there's no hanging about, there's no explanation of what the project is, there's no advertising, you're straight in. So then I automatically turned right to the back to see if there was, you know, an editor's letter. I was like, okay, yeah, great. This is nice. It's, you know, tell me where I am. But I was like, but where's all the other stuff? Like the, you know, I, it, I guess the front, the back, I'm kind of used to that, but I was just really surprised to see the colophon popping up in the, the middle like that. Mm. Also, also another thing on that note, Steve, is that uh, like we've been very concerned with the magazine, uh, one, remaining uh, sort of like timeless in mm. many ways. Like mm -hmm. We wanted to continue to be relevant. Uh, us as voracious like magazine consumers, it's like you almost don't want it to like lose relevancy. You continue to browse it. It's a very, it's a biannual volume. So it's like, we want people to continue to browse it and every time they pick it up to feel somewhat refreshing still, or that you can find something that you haven't seen before. Mm, mm, so mm. Well, I think that that was part of this like experiment a little bit with the, with the layout I find, right? Andrea? Yeah, definitely. I think, um, you know, at trying to access some kind of a temporality was really important for us 
from the get-go in both content and design. Um, and that kind of goes back to what I was talking about in the beginning about sort of inverting this logic on the, the sort of timeliness of so much of art media. It, it's, so, it's so temporal. It's, it's about an exhibition that just opened or a biennial that's happening. It, it's so pegged um, to a calendar. Mm. And I think cr creating some level of sort of flow and, and, and um, atemporal qualities were, was really important to us. Mm -hmm. I think another thing that will really have a big, big impact on that flow and, and also, uh, Vicente, you're, you're talking about people discovering new things when they come to it is, um, so some of your sections are, are trimmed to be just a little bit narrower than the rest of the book. And so as you're flicking through, you kind of like, you tend to sort of like land on the same pages because the, you know, like your thumb automatically takes you to like that place. So I, I guess that's one really good way of, first of all, pointing people to specific bits, but then, you know, the the reader then like on second or third reading coming across other things. Were, were there particular like elements that you wanted to kind of highlight with that? Yeah. Yeah, I think we... um you know, when we were talking to Ben and Julia about how we wanted the the different, I mean, essentially, we have a few categories of, of types of stories. We have long form interviews, short form, in, you know, interviews, and then visual stories. Um, and we wanted those to be sort of delineated, but not in any kind of explicit way. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when I, we feel like the reader is, you know, perceptive enough certainly to be able to just understand the kind of story that they're in based on the design or the feet or the touch even and I think that's you know that's why we did the advertisements actually on glossy paper and the rest is on that it's it's these sort of Im implicit design um elements that kind of like give you a, a bit of a spark of t to ground you of where you are but don't tell you too too much in a way mm, mm, mm. so I, i'm interested in like how you went about selecting the stories that that are in there um i mean we said at the beginning that you know there's generally this real feeling of kind of like intimacy and i think there's um quite a nice kind of like uh, sort of quiet tone to the magazine you know you're sort of like you're in someone's home looking at their record collection or you're like uh, taking a walk in the park with them. When you were at the start of the whole process and bringing this together, how did you know, first of all, who you wanted to feature and then what you were going to do with them? Yeah, um, you know, I think who we wanted to feature, we knew that we wanted Balcony to be um, sort of, yeah, to be situational, to feel cinematic in a way. So we approached the, you know, friends and strangers to participate and really invited them to kind of dictate the forms of, of their piece in that mm -hmm. sense. You know, mm -hmm. with the, the work you were, the, the piece you were referencing that was a walk in the park with um, the artist Robert Janitz and the um, writer Zoe Lescaz. I mean, that was that was you know an example of us sort of you know asking what they might want to do and um you know they said they wanted to go for a walk in the park and 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 we are really just following suit in some ways um in that in that in that regard um but i think yeah i think what we're really doing is creating the context um and and letting the sort of flow of 
dialogue come from that. I think um, the people that we included in the first issue, we really also wanted to present a, you know, a diversity of voices, of ages, and also of maybe um, uh, a diversity of uh, sort of um, presence within the art world. There are, you know, Francoise Glossin, who has the work on the cover. She's an artist who is, um, you know, in her late 80s and has only recently, I'd say in the last five or seven years, her work been sort of rediscovered, having had been a part of a number of formative exhibitions in the 70s for around fiber and textile. So mm -hmm. that's an example of, of an artist who's, who's really in some of the last stages of their life thinking and reflecting back on their work. And then on the other hand, we have, you know, an artist like Coyote Ojo, who we have in conversation with with a curator Jessica Kwok and he's a young artist he's in his 30s he's he's you know actively making work and and producing you know work and exhibitions and at, at a different stage in his in his sort of his timeline his, his artistic production um, mm -hmm. so I think presenting a kind of uh, a diversity of voices in that sense was really important to us um, and then you know like any project um, you, you, um, you know, you of course want to, uh, include, you know, friends and old colleagues and things, you know, people that we've had, we've known. So I think the, 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 the issue, the first issue's content was sort of 50, 50 of people that we were familiar with and had, had, had really known their work for a long time. And then there was, you know, the other half were really people that we reached out to or sort of had aspired to work with um, and chose. Mm -hmm. my, my favorite piece um, is the conversation that you have uh, between Paul, I think Paul Maheke and Benoit Loiseau. Um, and it's based around, so Paul wrote um, a letter, the year I stopped making art. Yes. Um, uh, actually, like maybe you could describe that letter and then tell us how you went about running that text along with the, the interview. Yeah. Um, so actually, Paul is someone that I met through Benoit, um, who I had known for a few years prior um, and always really appreciated his his writing and, and, and sort of written contributions. And we we and I should we should say, you know, all the content was really created during the sort of height of lockdown in many ways. So this was a lot of zooms and emails and and, um, you know, very little to no personal kind of um, interaction but um i approached benoit about um produce you know get, uh, producing something for the magazine and and we and we found our way to paul um a, an incredible artist that he um had done a recently done sort of part of a conversation um with that happened only um on instagram it was for e-work in berlin and I kind of really liked the idea of taking a conversation that had transpired in such a temporal and sort of um, uh, uh, digital format and and kind of putting it back into print mm, in a way mm, mm. Um, and sort of slowing it back down. Um, and so they elaborated on, you know, they had a dialogue sort of elaborating on that conversation and, and through that came 
the you know Benoit brought to my attention the the letter that Paul had published also digitally. Um, he just published it sort of um, online during the pandemic, um, the year I stopped making art. And you know the letter is um, it's surreal. <laughs> I think is one of the best ways to describe it. It's it's nonlinear. It is this sort of you know, narrative that moves through time and space in many ways. Um, and I and we felt that putting it into print um, was um, was the best way we could sort of capture it. Um, mm, mm, and mm. in a way, like capture it for posterity, I think. Mm, mm, mm. And also with, with the way that you've presented it with, so I think the letters in red text and the interviews in black, so... It's like super simple to just see like, you know, at a glance, okay, this is this thing, this is the other, but the two texts like really relate to each other very, very closely. Um, it's just seemed like a, a very simple way of presenting something. And it, it really, kind of, I mean, I'd never heard of it before, but it really drew me into uh, this story and, and kind of, I guess, the wider conversation about what happened to artists when lockdown came and, and took away all of their work. Um, yeah. So you've mentioned a couple of times the first issue. So uh, I guess this is implying that you're thinking about the second issue already. Um, do, do you know when that's going to be coming out? Yeah. In February of next year, we should be able to have an issue two out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and an interesting thing, Steve, in regards to like what you're talking about, the the repro reproducing uh, the letter, post letter, uh, we're definitely interested in, in first source material and in many cases, uh, the reproduction of facsimile uh, documents or ephemera from artists and like their processes or their historical uh, archives in many ways, as you could see, for example, uh, in the story, the Jason, Jason Schmidt story, that is uh, one-to-one -one reproduction to scale uh, of his Polaroids books, mm. which mm. were a part of like, his like uh, test shoots for like uh, lifelong work in portraiture. So we, and, and we were really careful as to like reproduce them the same way he had kept them. So that is an issue that will, that is a, a theme that will continue in subsequent issues that we really like exploring. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the idea of primary source documents and and sort of um, reproduction is really interesting to us. Um, and Jason's story, I think, was um, sort of a perfect... I, I mean, we, we were talking, we, we had approached Jason because we've long admired his portraiture of artists. It's so, um, it's so personal. It's so often not, it's not the sort of cliche of a monumental portrait of an artist, um, you know, in some kind of sort of uh, setup. Uh, he just, he's able to access something that's so much more personal and intimate. And, and when we were talking to him, he kind of, you know, in casually relayed that he had this sort of amazing archive, really, of moleskin and notebooks where he'd kept, you know, meticulously kept all of his Polaroid, test Polaroids. And for us, that's just like the the essence of, of, of what is really exciting. Um, it is sort of a B-side to his his practice. Um, and, and we're able to, and we were able to reproduce the the notebooks in a way that felt 
you know, as personal, as sort of intimate as one could get without holding them. Mm, and that was really mm, important mm. to us. The, so, so I mean, I, I love the, the fact that, you know, already there's this kind of theme that you're going to have running through into the next issue. And this, I guess, like the reproduction of like the ephemera, the like, you know, the, the stuff that's out there in the world. Was there anything in this first issue that you came across that you just realized actually you just weren't able to do it? Like, the, you know, there was something you wanted to reproduce or there was a story that you wanted to tell that you, it just kind of brought you up short and you realized that the print magazine was actually not the best way of doing that? I mean, yeah, not really. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I mean, I hope we don't sound pompous. I mean, I think Ben and Julia are are just some, I, I don't know what it's like to work with designers. They're the first and only designers we've ever worked with. Um, but they were, had an endless amount of um, uh, creativity to whatever kind of content we provided them. I mean, I, I think to the Robert Janets and Zoe Lescaz interview where they're walking in the park, you'll notice there's these sort of um, really like thumbnail visual footnotes that are mm, kind of, mm. they're sort of dropped like breadcrumbs throughout the, the interview. And, um, you know, that was, I think, just sort of a, a brilliant idea on their part to in, to sort of um, relay references that were, you know, being made throughout the conversation, but in a really kind of soft and a way that sort of invites the reader to discover them. You know, mm. at one point they throw a, a, a dime into, um, you know, into a fountain in the park and, and we've, we've, you know, we've, we've represented the dime there on two, two pages actually. Um, really sort of subtle things yeah. Um, yeah. that, that it, I think to answer your question in a way, we, we hadn't necessarily th thought that those kinds of little footnotes would be able to be replicated, but they but they brought them into the magazine in a way that yeah. was um, that was really incredible. And for example, for situations like this, when you're dealing with licensing and, 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 and stuff like that, to your point of the ambitiousness and scale of like producing a magazine where you have to reproduce other people's works or, 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 or pay for high costs of like clearing images, they were very resourceful at finding things that like or, or, or artifices to which we could like continue to explore this uh, sourcing of, of licensed material without necessarily having to break the bank and, and the example of the footnotes for example where we're, where we're licensing some images or using some uh, public domain stuff was kind of like a, a, an interesting thing where we were able to continue to uh, expand the scope of the of the and quality of the magazine through through these different guidance that we receive from 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 the designers as collaborate collaboratively through the designers yes. mm. yeah, yeah and i think also like you know the hamish um Persh and francesca gavin story which is the first in the issue you know that when Ham Hamish took most of these photos that you see that are, you know, reprinted in various sizes from thumbnail to half page and, and, you know, he, we asked him to, to sort of capture his day. And I loved the workflow of that because what he sent us was just an entire roll of a 35 millimeter hmm. thick film, uh, 
and we printed the entire roll. You know, there was in a way like there was no hierarchy of images. We were like, great, 32 images. We're going to print all of them. And we're going to figure out 36. Sorry, we're going to figure out how to how to do that in mm. some way, because nothing it, 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 it felt it would feel sort of disingenuous to 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 determine that one or another is you know, worth printing or not yeah. um, from what he'd sent. Yeah. So there's a kind of... Um, resourcefulness. Yeah, I guess a resourcefulness in some ways. We, we kind of were voracious. We just sort of took everything we could <laughs> and to try to get our hands on to um, to print it in some form. Well, it's, that's interesting. You, you say resourcefulness. I, I think when I see that playfulness, and, and I, I love that kind yeah, of... Yeah. the it like this. playful. You know, I think one of the... I mean... <laughs> For us, uh, of course, when you when you when you put out a, 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 an editorial like this, you often ask, are asked, you know, who you know who were you looking at, what what magazines, what inspiration, and and for us, one of the the biggest sources of inspiration were actually examples of film. Um, you know, my sort of long-standing desire was to make a print editorial version of My Dinner with Andre, <laughs> you know, the Louis Malle film. So it's, um, it's things like that where we were really trying to think about, you know, having conversations act as screenplays or having the reproduction of images present a multiplicity of angles. Um, you know, we looked at... Um, like we looked at a lot of examples of, of, of film and even film stills in, in looking at how images would be reproduced, um, whether that was like French new wave referencing or, um, you know, there was sort of a whole host of things, but that for us is sort of, if it can feel, if it can feel cinematic in any way, in a small way, that, that was our sort of biggest hope, I think. Well, you've done a lovely job with this first issue, and I'm very pleased to have that in the stack shop at the moment. So uh, I hope we'll be helping some more people to pick it up uh, and read it themselves. Um, and really good luck with making issue two. Thank you. It's coming up far quicker than <laughs> six months seems like a long time um, yeah. it, when you're not in it. And then it seems very short. <laughs> but yes, well, um, we look forward to the second, a second and third issues um, and uh, to, you know, having Balcony sort of make its way around the world, hopefully. <laughs> Too right. Thank you very much. Thanks, Steve. Okay, that's all for this one. I'd like to say thanks again to Audrey Rose and Vicente for taking the time to speak with me. This is definitely the sort of magazine that benefits from this kind of conversation so that you can hear what the team were working towards as they were making this odd and inventive new title. Remember, if you'd like to pick up a copy of Balcony, you'll find copies available to buy in the Stack shop. Uh, that's at stackmagazines.com forward slash shop. And if you use the code podcast, you'll save 10% on our normal prices. And I'll also know that people are listening all the way to the end of the episodes, uh, which is nice for me to know. I hope you've enjoyed this one. If so, please do follow us wherever you get your podcasts and we'll be able to deliver our next one to you as soon as it's ready. Uh, we're on a sort of short summertime mini-season at the moment, but we're going to have new episodes coming up for the next few weeks until mid-August. Uh, and then we'll be back again in September with lots more conversations with independent magazine makers. Um, so thank you very much for listening to this one and we'll be back with another episode next week. <laughs>